aircraft went berserk. It yawed violently. He then got a, uh, a rotor overspeed, a rotor underspeed, so the horn and uh, caution light came on, and he did this yawing all the way to the ground. Thankfully, keeping the skids the right way, and they landed. You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. Welcome to episode 103. This is the Rotary Wing Show where, not surprisingly, we love helicopters and love to chat about them. If that sounds like you too, then you are our sort of people. Before this episode, if you told me that there was more than an hour's conversation that you get out of talking about the governor in Robertson-type helicopters, I would have been pretty dubious. Well, I was wrong. Today, we have back on the show pilot and engineer Richard Mornington-Sanford. Richard was last on in episode 93, where he provides probably the, the best coverage of carburetor icing for helicopters that I've ever come across. There was a, a lot of good feedback and emails from that episode, and I'm sure this one will be similar. We do chiefly talk about the, the Robinsons, the R22 and R44, but there is plenty of generic governor operation content here that, that you can adapt to other types. If you are solely a turbine driver, then I think this is a good background info too, and hopefully entertaining. Richard is living in rural Malaysia, so the call connection was a little bit spotty in places, but hopefully they've tied it up okay. There is plenty to cover here on governor components, usage, and failure modes, so let's get straight into it. Here is Richard. So it was the governor. I wasn't quite sure that I was uh, the clutch or the governor, but uh, I thought it was the governor. So um, yeah, we can talk. We can talk about the governor because it's really, really interesting. And actually, as I think I mentioned most probably during the last uh, ditty, there's a correlation between the governor and carburetor icing that is incredibly important. Uh, yeah, I think we, and, uh, we touched on it. Well, you started to talk about it last time, and I've got the, the notes there, went through yeah. the POH and did a search on governors, so there's a, the section there in the, in the safety notices that sort of highlight that current, you know, the, yeah. that, where that comes into the carburetor icing. I was going to throw the question to you, I guess, to, to start off with. When we wind up, so you do your pre-start checks, you wind up above 80, the, the governor kicks in and, and, and starts to open the throttle and, and take it up to the, the governor's right. range. Have, yep. have you? Has it happened to you? Have you ever heard about anyone where it just it doesn't stop and it just keeps going, and you basically got to grab it and, and take the the governor off and then wind back it down and shut down? Is that is that something that that can happen? Um, you know, it, it, yes. If it can happen, it will happen. I'm sure. Most probably, there has been a a, a runaway. Uh, hence the reason for the slipping clutch. Uh, you know, the, the the clutch is there so that the pilot can override the governor should it do something like that. I personally have never had it do it, and I don't know of anybody that um, had that sort of thing. However, 
it's important to note that actually the governor will become inactive again at 115%. So anything above 115%, the governor stops opening the throttle. And one of the reasons behind that, of course, is the the normal shafting vibrations of the long terror, unsupported terrorizer dry shaft. It sits between world mode two and world mode three. So they're natural shafting vibrations. And world mode three happens slightly differently between a 22 and a 44, but up around about 134%. If you reach that, then the shaft will go into the third order of vibration and pretty much disintegrate the back of the helicopter. How do you spell um, that? Oh, what was that word again that you, you, you said then? The, um... Oh, uh, uh, mode or shafting vibrations. They are natural frequencies or vibrations that you have in um, any, any shaft that's rotating. Does that play in with and the R22, yeah. you know, you've got that uh, yellow range at the, the, the lower end of the RPM range. Does that relate to, uh, to that or is that different again? No, that, no, that's a slightly different, that's a harmonic vibration uh, caused uh, on the tail cone supports. And if it, I don't know, I mean, you, you won't remember, but in, in the early days, we, um, the tail cone on the R22 only had four attachment points, like the 44. Uh, and then they added a kit and put a, a, a fifth one on, which then became obviously standard at a point. So that's a tail comb vibration caution range. Okay, and this other one at the high end is then the actual Toro drive shaft. It just basically, it's a, a sympathetic sort of resonance point of that there. Yes, yes. And, and, and you, you will know that about a third of the way down the drive shaft, both on the 22 and the 44, there's a, um, a lightly loaded damper assembly. It's not rigid. It's on a couple of slipping frictions. And that prevents the first order. So if you like, really, the first order of vibration happens that uh, whilst the clutch is actually engaging, it's a very low RPM. And it's like a skipping rope. You know, if, you t- if, you, if you turn a, a piece of rope, uh, that's a, it goes into a natural vibration, which is a, a, a loop. And then as you accelerate, it goes into the second order. And that is, if you like, along the shaft, it has two skipping ropes, one from the beginning of the shaft to the center of the shaft, and from the center of the shaft to the end of the shaft. Uh, now, on both those occasions, the damper assembly is there to prevent those vibrations happening. And they transit transit those vibration areas very, very quickly. However, if you go to, say, 130 plus percent, then you get three skipping ropes, if you like. And unfortunately, the damper assembly is in a node, a point of no vibration. So it's not effective. Uh, And what happens is as the shaft whips, it, of course, shortens so it, it stresses the flex plates, and it can also contact the inner supports of the tail cone and completely structurally remove the tail cone from the aircraft, and you become a lawn dart 
Right. Okay. Well, that's well. That's well above the uh, <laughs> the normal range. I think we're doing inspections well before we we get to that point. Um, but uh, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but we've just actually had a couple of accidents here, uh, or incidents really, I should say, as well, and that's on the new cadet with the EMU, there's an an, an engine monitoring unit on the cadet now, that uh, that (laughs) monitors your rotor RPM, engine RPM, and these guys here, with the instructors on board, managed to get it to 129%, 129 129.8%. Wow. Overspeed. Yeah, I mean, crazy. So um, you think that was going on before, but nobody reported it. Now, of course, with the EMU, you're stuck. Yep. Anyway, so 115% the governor will automatically uh, go into, it doesn't switch itself off, but it, it, it goes into standby mode, if you like, as it, as it is below 80%. All right. Well, yeah, that's the lead-off question because it's just, yeah, every time it starts up, and I guess it tells students that too, you're watching it and normally have the hand there ready yeah. to go. And, yeah, it's just always crossed my mind. If it doesn't stop, at that point you've got a, a, uh, <laughs> yeah. you've got a small point there to, to yeah. catch it before you, uh, you're you going to have to walk back in and uh, go talk to someone. Well, yeah, well, that's why we say, you know, just, re- just release your grip on the throttle but don't take your hand away from it so it's there. Uh, guarding it, if you like. So um, between 80% and 96%, uh, the throttle can be fully open. You know, that governor is going to wind that throttle wide open. And then it starts winding it back again to hit the datum point of either um, 104% or 102%. And then it does the same. So between 100, so 115%, it goes into standby, if you like, but between 115% and 110%, the throttle can be fully closed, and it will open to hit the datum point again. And, and it's the top end that I will explain later how it can cause you know, accidents and fatal accidents. Okay, well, let's, let's do it. I guess chronologically, uh, at one point, I'm guessing again, I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't around and, and, and involved at that point. But when the Robinson first came out, it didn't have a governor. I'm assuming it was like a, a Hughes 300 or a Bell 47. So is that, yeah? Do you want to take us back to that point, and then I guess how we ended up with a, a governor? Yeah, I mean, well, if you, I mean, if you take the Bell 47, bless it, which I cut my teeth on. I don't know whether you've flown one, but you need fistfuls of throttle both ways on that. So it's a great machine to uh, learn about manual throttle control. And of course, a Hughes 300 or Schweitzer. They both had correlators, but they weren't particularly effective. And when the R22 came out, um, its correlation, which is obviously engine to um, pitch on the main rotor blades, uh, it was spectacularly good. So we should really talk about the correlator first because that's always there. It's, it's under the governor. And you can't switch it on, you can't switch it off. It's a mechanical linkage the way Frank sort of designed it. But the problem with it is, is that it overcompensates at low pitch settings and undercompensates at high pitch settings. 
So in other words, in the old days when we had long hot summers and bacon was crispy, um, you'd set the RPM at 100%. And then what you had to do is raise the collective lever and close the throttle at the same time because of this overcompensation. And you would carry on doing that until you just felt light on the skids. Then you would set the RPM at 100%, look outside, because that's where you need to be looking now, and then just raise the collective lever. And it's now within the correlated range. And the correlated range is somewhere between sort of 17, 18% to about 22, uh, sorry, 18 inches to 22 inches of manifold pressure. And once you're there, the correlator was spectacularly good compared to what we were used to flying with, apart, obviously, apart from the, from the turbines. However, in all these additions, that Frank has added to the R22, of course, in those days, one of the main aims was low RPM rotor stall. Uh, it was very apparent right at the beginning that the low inertia rotor system on the R22 was causing some problems. Uh, if you think about it, I think in 90, between 1980 and 1990, 22% of fatal accidents in the R22 uh, was low RPM rotor stall. It wasn't top, but it was one of those three. And also, the engine. Uh, Frank has been slowly increasing the availability of horsepower, and both those items was to try and reduce this low RPM rotor stall risk. So, although the correlator was very, very good, uh, Frank decided that an aid on the throttle system uh, would be helpful to allow the pilot to concentrate on other things. So reduce the workload, if you like. Um, but the first governor, and that must have been around, I don't know, 95, 96-ish, was actually rotor RPM sensed. So on your R22 and your R44, you've got two little sort of silver barrels that are attached to the input pinion of the gearbox that are looking for the passage of two magnets on the forward yoke. So you have one for rotor RPM and one for low rotor RPM, separate system. So that's standard. But in those days, Frank added another two uh, Hall effect sensors, these, these silver barrels, if you like, threaded barrels. And uh, so what that did is that also sensed rotor RPM, but this was for the governor, and it also sensed rate of change of the RPM for the governor. So the early governor used to move the collective lever up and down and move the throttle. So people, it was very sluggish, very slow, and it just interfered too much. So I, I put my hand up and say that you know, I switched the damn thing off because it was a menace. So, so it, would hunt, most, it would hunt around a bit then? Like you'd, you'd feel it chasing? Or? Yeah, you can. But let's say it was, it was very sluggish. It was 
if you like, it was slower to react than your learned throttle manipulation skills. So if you left it alone, the R yes, the RPM uh, moved around a lot more than it would with you actually controlling it yourself because the throttle control becomes a, a, a thoughtless process. You do it automatically. It's a bit like flying, isn't it? You look out the window and you react to what you see. And you, because in those days you were so RPM aware that uh, you would automatically be adjusting the throttle if required uh, without thought. But of course, remember that the correlator did a fantastic job between say, about 18 to 22 inches of manifold pressure. I mean, if you take an example of how good it was, I could, and, and of course, obviously, we did when we were instructing, you can take an R22 um, from an 80-knot cruise, I can put it into uh, auto-rotation, so lower the lever, not touch the throttle, bring the uh, airspeed back to 65 knots, fully established auto-rotation, recover, climb back up again, go back to 80 knots, and not touch the throttle. That's how good it is. Right. And the, the surprising thing was, a few years ago, I was doing a safety course, and on the safety course, I had a number of instructors, which are quite rare, actually. And when I told the chief flying instructor, this is what we used to do, he said, I don't believe you. He said, that, that's not possible. And I, because, of course, he was taught with the governor. And I said, well, look, um, just, I, just go and do it. So after that, that day, I sat down with him and said, look, just, just go and do this by yourself. Whatever, don't worry about it, don't do it. And um, he came back, he said, I can't believe that I didn't know the correlator was so good. Yeah, well, when you have the governor uh, on, it's, uh, it totally masks <laughs> the correlator. Uh, so you just don't see it. Of course it does, yeah. And, and that's our problem, is, is that Frank fitted it as an aid to assist the pilot. And now, of course, it's become primary. Um, and people are not, you could take that dual, that dual taco out, and they wouldn't even notice it was missing. Anyway, so the first governor was, it was helpful, but not that helpful. Anyways, Frank then uh, had this new governor, which was RPM sense from the engine, nothing to do with the rotor. And uh, I'm trying to think of the chap's name who designed it, Ralph. Ralph, he was a real electronics boffin. He designed the governor. Uh, actually, he also designed the uh, R44 initial uh, trim control in the cyclic uh, system. Anyways, but Ralph designed this first governor and then the, the second governor, which is a, a, a major step forward in the uh, governing of RPM. So it was, I think an AD came out because the original governor that was rotor RPM sense was an option. And then Frank brought out the new governor. And he then got the FAA to produce an AD, I think in about 97-ish, somewhere around about there. It became mandatory. So there were two kits. 
uh, available at the time. K167-3, if you had the old governor and you just uh, changed it over, and K and dash 2 if you didn't. So it went from these two Hall effect senders up on the gearbox to a set of contacts in the right-hand magneto. And that set of contacts in the right-hand magneto was already producing the signal that you have for engine RPM. So Frank just took that signal uh, that was already there and, and um, put it to a control box. And yeah. uh, then you've got the uh, second governor. So if you like, the, 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 the governor that we have now, um, the components are um, the right-hand magneto, set of contacts in, in there, the control box, which either sits behind the co-pilot seat back on an R22 and the right rear seat back of an R44. You have a toggle switch on the end of the collective lever. You have a circuit breaker, and then you have an electric motor and a gearbox, which is a single item that is attached to the throttle control via a linkage through something called a flipping clutch. I'll explain a bit about that later. And then, of course, you've got the caution light, the amber caution light. Now, one of the things that I find talking to pilots is that, is that when caution lights come on, it tends to be saying to the pilot, there's a problem. So in other words, it comes on and then the pilot knows there's a problem. Whereas, and so therefore, they think that the governor light, caution light, is going to come on if there's a problem with the governor. And of course, it doesn't. The light only comes on when the when the pilot switches the governor off. So it's not a it's not a sort of a, a standard caution warning light, if you like. And so that's a bit of a misconception of that idea. I might back up with a couple so, of questions then, and then I'll I'll, yep. I'll insert us back into where we are here. The, yep. the first one is an observation, and it's amazing. Still, you know, just the things that you do pick up and the things that you don't pick up. So I've always looked at the, the two rotor RPM pickups, and to be honest, I didn't realize one was for the rotor attack and then the other one was a separate you know, one for the, for the low rotor. Uh, so that's, you know, in terms of aircraft tech, that's a, a great one to pick up. Um, and, and the other one was a question around that correlator with the over-scheduling of fuel on the, on the pickup. I'm guessing there's a reason for that because, you know, again, the Hughes 300 is the same. As you go to lift up, you've got to, take off a, a quite a lot of throttle just before you lift off. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you could engineer that out with, with the cam. You know, you could shape the, the, the cam for that, that uh, correlator so you could have that as a perfect, you know, so you wouldn't need to take any throttle out. So given that it's in two different machines and it's been left in there forever, is, is there must be a reason to have that over-scheduling? Well, um, y yes, the reason for the scheduling and under scheduling if you want to put it that way on the correlator on the 22 and the 44 is to give you I mean I think most manufacturers but I know you know uh, Robinson a bit more than I know others most manufacturers try and set everything around MCP and so he set the correlator to be effective around about you know just below and just above MCP and Frank's philosophy, if I haven't said it already, 
is uh, keep it simple because what's there can't break. Keep it light because power is finite. And keep it economical because, you know, if it's too expensive, people can't buy it. So most of the time I say to people, look, if you ever have a question as to why Robinson did what he did, just apply those three things and you usually end up with the answer. The Bell 47, I don't know whether you know the Bell 47 well, that had a cat box or does have a cat box, doesn't it? Um, on the right-hand side of the aircraft. Yeah, I don't and know the 47 well. Um, the, the Huey, and again, maybe it's, it's a completely different track with the, the turbines uh, with their setup, but I, I know there's a you know, very unique shaped cam and it looked like it had been designed yeah. so that it, you know, it wasn't a linear, as you pull the collective up, no. it wasn't a linear change. It was a you know, been shaped as a cam to, to change that. Yes. But not, it's, it, it, because, I think because of the shape, that it, it wasn't as effective. You know, Frank obviously did what he did because this gave him this spectacular, compared to any other piston engine helicopter that I, I had flown prior to the R-22, it gave her this spectacular governor, that uh, correlator, I mean, didn't quite paint the needle on the on the gauge as the governor does, but it was pretty good. And we also have to go back to the early days when the blades weren't as heavy. Uh, Robinson put a, a tip weight in the blades, so when you were flying in any any sort of medium gusting conditions, the RPM on the R22 hunted around. Uh, quite a lot, and you just lift it because the disc was loading and unloading. And that's why you had the very wide green band on those earlier dual tachometers for the engine and the rotor, uh, just to allow it to move around a bit. So I, I think that your what you're alluding to about the complicated cam shape, uh, Frank wasn't impressed. And the only way he could get it to work as well as it does is to do what he did. I mean, they're incredibly clever chaps. I mean, they have this ability, which most most people who manufacture something, and certainly aeroplanes and helicopters and things like that, overcomplicate things. Whereas Frank finds the simplest ways of doing things and quite honestly the simplest things are the most complicated things to think about <laughs> yeah. um you know it's uh, th- th- i just i'm always i've been going there for 40 years and i listen to these guys Pete Vidal and dale and people like that and they all think it's the same way as frank and it's just amazing say the simplicity that they they find in in, in stuff to make it reliable no, that's that's perfect. I was just a yeah, it was just a, a question <laughs> while I had an engineer here to, to ask. So um, that's fine. Yeah. All right, yeah. well, I'll throw you back in where we were. So you're talking about the, the the warning light then, in terms of the the governor switch on and off is essentially the only connection to that to that warning light. I guess maybe where yeah. that would lead on to is if you are flying along and one of those components fails, whether it's the, the signal from the, the right hand magneto or just the, the electric motor itself. What's the first indication mm. you're going to have that the the governor's failed. Most probably, if it well, if the signal to the governor fails, 
then you most probably wouldn't be aware of it because the correlate, if you're in the cruise, the, the governor's put the RPM where it should be and the correlator's going to sort of keep it there between those two manifold pressures, 18 to sort of 22-ish. If it's a complete signal failure, then of course, because that signal also goes to your dual tachometer, the signal is from the right-hand magneto, it goes to the engine uh, indication side of the dual tachometer and the governor control box. So if you lost just the governor, then you wouldn't know anything about it. If you lost the complete signal, then of course the uh, engine indication would go to zero. So unless you're watching your RPM gauge, you wouldn't know. There'd be no your, the engine's not affected, it's just an indication. However, at some point in the flight, depending on how aggressive the pilot flies, uh, they will notice that the RPM is most probably not being held at 102, 104%. You know, it'll move slightly. But they, that, otherwise, you wouldn't know. Okay. Yeah. While, we're, so while we're in the electrical side of things, then, in terms of where it's getting, it's, you know, it's getting signals from, I, had a, I cheated. I had a quick look at the electrical diagram in the uh, in the POH. So the the governor motor, its its uh, power comes straight off the the main bus, uh, whereas the engine tack and the road tack actually get it off a, a separate bus in terms of the um, off, off the battery and the alternator. So if you're in flight and you take you know if you have an alternator failure or anything like that, what are the other yeah. sort of interconnections there that are going to which aren't necessarily governor failures? But what are the other system failures that are going to affect the governor? Well, um, if you have, so if we have a, just say you have an electrical fire in flight and you have to switch the, the battery and the alternator off, or you have an alternator failure or whatever, then if you, if you just have an alternator failure, then your battery is supplying power to the governor. But if you, have both fail, or you have to, uh, because of an electrical fire, switch the battery and the alternator off, then the pilot has to understand that both the governor is switched off and your low RPM caution system is switched off. Again, indications, well, I mean, um, of course, as you quite rightly alluded to uh, just a minute ago, your dual tachometer will remain working because that has a um, hot wire, if you like, through the clutch switch, doesn't it? The battery bypasses the relay and keeps the dual tachometer working. But of course, you'd lose all the other electrical systems. But the pilot must be aware that the governor is no longer available and the caution, low RPM caution, is no longer available. Gotcha. Okay, the, the POH is... In the safety notices, there's basically three mentions of the of the governor. So I don't know if you want to tackle those ones now. The first one was uh, essentially, you know, above three thousand to four thousand feet. And I guess this ties back in with our previous discussion of, of carb icing. The fact that the throttle yeah. is quite often, you know, full open. And so the, the yeah. note there is the 
uh, Shorrell Collective correlation is not effective and the governor response yeah. can be fairly slow. Yeah. The next mention there is about, again, you know, the governor can actually mask the buildup of carby icing. And then the last one yeah. is the, uh, the EMI one, you know, the, the flying past a, a broadcast tower. So if we want to tackle those in order uh, and just cover off the, the mentions there in the, uh, in the safety notices. Yeah, okay. So the safety note, I think it's, it's safety notice 31. It talks about uh, masking carbon rising. The other safety notice that, that, that talk about the governor and the correlators ability to maintain at altitude um, have been around for a bit. And yes, of course, if we look at the correlator first, then it goes back to what I said, that it, the, the correlator undercompensates at high pitch settings. So that's not working particularly well. And of course, the, uh, the, the governor that is also, if you like, linked because it assists the correlator uh, has has the same sort of same sort of problem, uh, and so the governor is it is noticeably sluggish because it's not having the assistance, if you like, from the correlator to keep the RPM where it should be. So, so does that answer the first question? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, uh, and then okay, so the masking and correlator rising is is that. Um, yeah, the lovely thing about most all manufacturers is is that um, they tend to know a lot about how the the aircraft works in their environment, but require on field information to find out about how it works in other people's environments. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah, the Californians bless them. Uh, you know, they never fly around with the doors on. In fact, they buy a helicopter with, with, with new with doors on, and most probably the doors are not fitted for the next 2,200 hours. They don't even know where the doors are. So from a governor point of view, I don't know when it was. It, it's got to be 90 sort of five area. Uh, and I think it's one of the HAIs. And Pac used to have a, a dinner party for, I don't know, people, uh, good dealers, if you like, just to give them a pep talk. Uh, and uh, I, at that time, I was uh, director of Sloan Helicopters, which was the world's leading uh, seller of helicopters. And uh, anyway, I, we, we were having dinner with Frank, and Barbara was alive in those days, of course, bless her. And I was sitting, she was sitting to my right, I was sitting next to Barbara, and Frank was pretty much opposite um, me. And the governor, the new governor had just come out. And Barbara was asking my opinion of the governor. And I said, well, I, it just, it, it is spectacular. It does paint the needle on, on the gauge. Um, it's not quite as good as a turbine, but uh, almost. I said, but there is one problem, and that is that it masks carburetor icing. And uh, so she said, well, okay, tell me about it. And so I gave her a quick rundown on what I'd found experimenting with it. And she said, that's fascinating. Just, have you told Frank yet? And I said, no, I haven't really had five minutes to talk to Frank yet. And so she shouts across the table to Frank. She said, hey, Frank, uh, Dick, because everybody calls me Dick, Dick's uh, got a thing about your new governor. And you know, Frank, you know, 
yeah, even those don't go back a long way. He just rolled his eyes and he said, well, okay, you know, what's he saying now? And so I explained to him about how it marks carburetizing. Uh, and of course, being a Californian, uh, they had no idea about it. So it was a bit of an eye-opener for him. And uh, so they then put this, I think it was, I think it was a safety notice, 31 in there. Um, that it can that it can mask carburetizing, and actually, I can give you two prime examples that happened in the UK of, of how it does, uh, how the governor interacts with carburetizing. So the first one was a trip from uh, actually our airfield that you're operating from down to Battersea Heliport, which is the heliport beside the Thames. And you have to go into controlled airspace, obviously going through London, and we have heli lanes. And usually what they ask you to do is descend from wherever you are to about 1,000 feet. So the pilot was instructed by air traffic to descend to 1,000 feet. Now, um, he said that as he lowered the collective lever, the aircraft went berserk. It yawed violently. He then got a, uh, a rotor overspeed, a rotor underspeed, so the horn and uh, caution light came on. And he did this yawing all the way to the ground, thankfully keeping the skids the right way. And they landed and they contacted me back at base because it was one of our aircraft. And um, I explained to the guy that... Um, you know, he's oversped it, so we've got to bring it back on a trailer. But then I sat down with the pilot. He came back uh, because he couldn't understand why he had what he thought was the governor failure. And so I went through how the governor works. It's very, very simple. Is that he didn't have enough carb heat applied in the cruise. So as he was flying along, the carburetor was icing up. The reaction of the governor to that, of course, is to open the throttle. Because as the ice builds up in the carburetor, both the RPM and the manifold pressure go down. So the governor will automatically correct that. He then gets to the point, so he's unaware of this, he then gets to the point where air traffic control asks him to descend to 1,000 feet to join the heli lanes. He lowers the collective lever on an already iced up machine. Now, he can't remember whether he pulled full carb heat, but he did say he did pull some carb heat before he lowered the collective leap. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's pulled full carb heat. The aircraft, as he lowers the collective lever, is going berserk, lots of yawing. What happens now is that, unfortunately, he grips the throttle. The yawing is for two reasons. One is he's got this buildup of ice and the engine's running rough because he's closed the butterfly valve on it. Two is he's got hot air going into the carburetor and melting the ice. Because he's gripped the throttle, as the ice melts, the engine is now going to, to become more efficient and he's gripped the throttle uh, in the position the governor's put it in when it was masking the carburetor icing. So in other words, open 
further than he needs it. So as the ice melts now, the RPM goes up. He sees it as a governor runaway. Because he doesn't have a great deal of time on manual throttle control, thankfully he closed the throttle, at least he got it in the right direction, <laughs> but he closed it too much. So then, of course, he got a rotor droop. Then he went, oh, my God, the other, and then he wound the throttle. So he was winding the throttle on and off all the way down, over-speeding, under-speeding, over All he had to do, just like I. which is easy for me to say that, is just release his hand on the throttle, and the governor would have maintained the control for him. So that was a potential accident. It never happened, thankfully. So there's one. You said there was a, there was a second incident? Yeah. Second one is almost a fatal accident. So this was um, north, uh, northwest of uh, UK. It was a pretty miserable day, typical English day. So, reasonably low cloud base, drizzle, turbulent. And the instructor was with a student. And the instructor, quite rightly, decided to give the students some poor weather familiarization flying, which I think is a great idea. So, they were straight and level in turbulence. The student was flying, and the instructor was sitting there most probably thinking of something else. And all of a sudden, the low uh, RPM caution light and horn came on. In those days, it was a speaker, not through your headset. And pretty instantly, the engine spluttered and stopped. Now, the instructor got onto the uh, collective lever, put the lever down. They got into auto-rotation, put out a mayday call. The instructor asked the student to see whether they could start the engine again. The engine did start up, and they flew back to base, shut down, walked in, changed their trousers, most probably, and the instructor called me and said, look, Dick, I've had an engine stop on me. In the cruise, what do you think? And I said, well, it sounds to me like carburetor icing. He said, oh, good. He said, you're always talking about carburetor icing. It's not carburetor icing because I had carb heat applied. And anyway, why would the engine stop on me in the cruise for no other reason? And I said, well, okay, well, let's look at the carburetor icing bit first. When did you last check the accuracy of the gauge? Silence. I said, can you remember how I told you to check the accuracy of the, the carb heat gauge? Silence. I said, well, tomorrow, when the, uh, when the engine's cooled down and is now at ambient temperature, if you go to your R22, you'll find that your um, carb heat gauge is most probably over-reading. Because he said to me that he, he had uh, around about 20 degrees indicated on the gauge. And that's why he was saying he didn't believe it was carburetor icing. And I said, well, we can't do anything until tomorrow, but go and, go, go and look at it tomorrow. He said, anyway, even so, why would the engine stop? So what we have to do, again, is look at how the governor reacts. So in turbulence, the governor is going to maintain the RPM. And in turbulence, of course, the disc is loading and unloading. And 
I don't know whether you remember, I said that between 110% and 115%, the governor can fully close that throttle. So if the loading of the disk was such that it took the RPM up above 110%, quite possible, then the governor would close the throttle. And it's closed the throttle on ice that was already in the carburetor because the carburetor temperature gauge was overreading. He didn't have enough carb heat applied. So the engine stopped due to the governor's reaction to turbulence. So had the instructor not been in that aircraft at the time, and we just had a student uh, in those sort of conditions, hopefully, obviously, we wouldn't, but let's just say we have a private pilot in those conditions, then we would have had a low RPM rotor stall, fatal accident, and we'd be scratching our head as to how the hell that happened. Gotcha. All right, but so, yeah, so, so it's, it's really the interaction because obviously the governor's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's just that interaction mm-hmm. between the systems. So there's nothing wrong per se with the, the governor itself. No, absolutely, absolutely not. It's just that the pilot needs to know that there is an Achilles heel, if you like, to put it that way, on the governor. Um, spectacular as it is, and that is this this uh, ability for it to close the throttle. So if you look at how the governor works, this between 80% and 96%, it's full throttle, can be fully open. And between 110% and 115%, it can be fully closed. That's there for a reason. It's called a duty response system. So in other words, the further the RPM is away from its datum point, the quicker the governor is going to get it back there. So in other words, if the RPM, let's just say the RPM uh, droops to, um, I don't know, 90%, yeah? then if it does that, then the, the governor is going to whack the throttle open up to 96% and then close the throttle to get it back to that datum point. And if it's over 110%, it's going to do the reverse. So that is there for a purpose. As I say, it's a duty response system. It's built in and it's correct. Get the RPM back as quickly as possible, depending on where it is. Now, on your R44, you've got a 1% dead band. So on your R44, the governing range is between 101 and 102%. On a 22, that's a 3% dead band. So that's between 102.5% to 105.5%. So it's a 3% dead band. In this dead band, the governor is asleep with one eye open. And all the governor's doing is looking for a rate of change. So if it sees a change in the RPM, but the the rate of that change isn't going to take it outside the governing range, it leaves it alone. But if it sees that rate of change is going to either take it above or below, then of course it activates and corrects the potential 
problem. So in other words, it's a bit like your wife's got a sixth sense. Um, and it has to work that way, otherwise the RPM would be forever uh, moving, hunting around uh, whilst it tries to catch up. So my question is usually to, to, to pilots, why has the R44 only got a 1% dead band versus an R22 that has a 3% dead band? Is the inertia of the, of the blades going to take... Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The inertia. We know the R22 blades move around. Can't stop them because there isn't the inertia there to do so, whereas the 44s are heavier. Um, yeah, it's as simple as that. So, in effect, the governor on your R22 could go to sleep, if you like, at 105.5%, which is a 1.5% above... Um, the maximum. So you would just sort of manually sort of squeeze the throttle, close it a little bit and bring it back into, into line. But yeah, that wouldn't be considered a, an overspeed as such. So that, that's, that's how it's designed to work. Um, and it's, it, I think it's a spectacular piece of kit, personally. All right, so the third one, and I can only assume that you know, people have run into these particular scenarios for them to end up in, in the uh, in the POH. So flying near broadcast towers or, or anything else which is pumping out a you know, heap electrical signal, what's the what's the interaction there then with the is it interacting with the you know the, the wire that's going from the magneto and so you're getting an erroneous reading there? Is it interacting with the electric motor itself? What's the trigger there? Yes, it, it, yeah, and you know, there's a statement in the, in the maintenance manual specifically that you mustn't fit any electrical equipment into the uh, 20 or the 44, uh, or the 66, of course, because of this potential interference with the low RPM caution system uh, and the governor. And it is shielding. For the governor to work as well as it does, it does not tolerate noise. So any sort of interference that gets through the shielding will affect it. And um, <laughs> again, many, many years ago, I got a call from a French accident investigation chap. He became a very good friend of mine in the end. And uh, he said, look, uh, Richard, we've got, we've got this, uh, this problem with the R22. We've had a flight instructor on board. Both, both uh, aircraft involved had the same flight instructor on board by himself. Flying along, low RPM caution system activated. He threw it at the ground, so entered auto rotation, and crashed it. They brought a new R22, and shortly afterwards, the same area, our low RPM caution system came on. He threw it in auto-rotation and didn't quite hit the same spot that he crashed the first one in. So, of course, I then get a, a call and say, look, you know, what the hell's going on? And uh, I pretty much knew what was going on. So I, I, I went over to um, the, the area and we hired an R22. So we marked on the map where this these two accidents happened. And I just flew the... Um, Action investigator, French action investigator, into the same area. And sure, lo and behold, uh, the low up in caution light came on. And uh, uh, he said, Oh, that's very, very interesting. I said, Yes, well, okay, well, let's go back then. We've proved it does come on, and we've proved it isn't an engine failure, 
nothing wrong with the aircraft. Uh, it carries on flying quite happily. It's just a uh, spurious indication. So we go back and then we look at the map and sure enough, there was a, um, I think it was a TV signal antenna and we were just flying through the beam of this high intensity signal uh, that was causing the caution system to come. It, it didn't affect the governor. It just affected the caution system. Now, personally, I've never come across an instance where the governor was affected by a um, high-intensity signal. But obviously, there has been instances of that, so we just caution you. But um, so in that case, you know, the governor could run away up or run away down. And again, the friction clutch is designed so that the pilot can override it. Yeah, okay, that's a pretty good story to, to put against that one. I wasn't expecting first-hand experience, so that's uh, not bad. Well, yeah, the only other point I've got left on my list there, we'll cover that, and then if there's anything else you, you want to sort of cover off on the, on the, on the government. Well, uh, just no, be, yeah, yeah, just, uh, just um, one, of course, is that the current system is analogue, and Robinson, uh, I think it's, although they haven't advertised it yet, They've been working on a digital governor system because the Achilles heel of this governor system is the set of contacts in the right-hand magneto for several reasons. One is that the right-hand magneto happens just to be underneath the oil filter. Uh, if you've got a spin-on filter on your engine, most of them have now, the, uh, the, the right-hand magneto sits underneath there. So if your technician don't put a bag over the filter before they unscrew it, then the filter tends to empty the oil onto the right-hand magneto. The oil gets into the magneto and gets onto the silver contact points, and then you get spurious signals. So if you looked at a signal on an oscilloscope for that right-hand magneto set of contacts, you'd see a standard open-close Open, close, open, close. Clean. But once you get oil contamination on there, of course, you get a little bit of arcing and sparking. And, of course, the governor interprets that as another signal. So you get extra signals. So the RPM would not be constant. It would be hunting around. So those points in that magneto have always been the Achilles heel of the actual system itself. Now... They've come up with a digital system, so they are now looking at a speed sensor. I don't know whether you know the 66 much, but the 66 no. has got two engine speed sensors, N1, N2. Uh, and so it's a little sensor uh, that looks at the rotation of one of the gears in the accessory housing. So the governor should be much, much more reliable and have uh, less issues with it. Uh, and of course, so that that if you get a if you get a, an RPM that is erratic, then it's a signal problem. If you get an RPM that all the governor is sluggish, so in other words, if you raise the collective lever reasonably quickly or lower it, it doesn't maintain the RPM. Then that's a friction problem. Now the clutch on your gearbox where the electric motor 
uh, runs the, a single axle. Uh, that clutch is a two-to-one friction between the inherent friction of the throttle system and the clutch itself. So whilst we've got that two-to-one, the clutch friction being twice the friction of the inherent friction in the throttle system, everything works fine. But you can get contaminated clutch or you can get a, in, an increase in the throttle friction. And doing that, what happens then, of course, is the clutch slips. So it doesn't maintain your RPM for you. Now, one of the problems with that is, is that for some reason, instructors in particular don't like this acceleration from 80% to the 102% or 104%. They think it's too fast. So what they tend to do is just grip the throttle slightly to slow it down. And if you do that, of course, what's happening is the clutch is spinning. And so you're going to wear your clutch out. It won't make 2,200 hours. So leave their throttle alone. Guard it and let it accelerate up to its datum point, except one caveat to that is if you're on wet, slippery, icy surface. Yeah, then you, you don't want that torque going through because it will spin you on the pad. Well, there you go. I'm one of those guilty people. I've, uh, yeah, I must admit, I've, same thing. I've just held a little bit of, you know, pressure on the uh, on the on the grip there, and, and let it sort of run past my yeah. hand. All right. So you, yeah, don't yeah. do that. Don't do that because you should actually be looking at that as a health monitor, if you like. If you've got really good acceleration between eighty and um, the one hundred and two hundred and four percent, it's showing you that you've got great clutch friction ratio, and it's going to work well for you. If it's sluggish as it accelerates, sometimes it doesn't even reach the datum point, then it means you've got a slipping clutch um, for whatever reason, say high inherent friction or uh, clutch, lack of clutch friction. Right, there you go. All right, well, the last, last point I had was just on training. Uh, normally, what I've been doing, it would be out in training area doing something and mm-hmm. again, trying to make the, the most of the, the transit back to the airfield. As we come in, yeah. prior to hitting the circuit, and we're still straight and level, and normally at that point, we take it off and give them a chance just to, to get used to the throttle on the way in, and then fly the approach yeah. with, the, with the, the governor off. And that's probably pretty conservative, but, but you know, repeating that a couple of times during training, it's really as much throttle off as I'd, I'd probably do. Uh, is, how do you go about teaching the, the throttle off with students when you're flying them? Well, yeah, you see that. I mean, that, that unfortunately, that's about as much use as a chocolate fire guard. Um, because I mean, it's just, and I the problem is, it is a statement in the um, uh, POH that says you're not supposed to switch the governor off. So instructors tend, tend to say, well, look, I, I can't. Sorry, blogs, I can't show you how the correlation of everything works because it says here quite clearly. You can't switch the governor off, but it also then clarifies. It does give you that, yeah, I was going to say, it gives you the out in terms of you can do it for training. Yep. Exactly, right. So you, you do it for training. And I don't know what, do you do exercise four, which is effective controls, and exercise five, which is further effective controls? I mean, is that? Is that yeah, effective controls, when I don't know if it necessarily maps with, with four or five. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. You, you on I think it's on five. You, you um, show different so changing the RPM but maintaining the same manifold pressure, 
or maintaining the same manifold pressure changing the RPM. So it should be that um, teaching the um, throttle manipulation skills to do both of those. And of course, you can only do that with a dampener off. But people don't do it anymore. Um, so they become less RPM aware. And uh, one of one of the examiners was talking to me the other day. He said, he said, he said, I can't believe I've just had an instructor do a refresher with me, and I gave him a governor failure, and um, he actually flew the aircraft very nicely, but he did a run-on landing. Yep. And. I said, well, where's that in the book? He said, quite, he said, quite, he said, you don't do it, why, why do that? He does it because he's scared that if the governor isn't switched on, that he doesn't have really any RPM control. So what I used to do when I was doing the flying on the uh, flight safety course that I was running, is that somewhere, either on the approach as you did into the circuit, or on the downwind leg of the circuit, I'd say, look, blocks, Okay, and we'll have done this whole hour with the governor off because the safety course was all about an hour's emergency procedure training. So we start off with takeoffs and landings, so operating the throttle, but we end up with, okay, blogs, we set the RPM at 100% because that's a nice datum point for them. Uh, governor's already off. What I'm going to do now, and what I want you to do is absolutely nothing, is I'm going to pull the rotor and engine circuit breakers. So we're going to lose both indications. So you're going to have no governor, and you're going to have no indication in the cockpit. And you, would, you have to, if you're ever going to do this, and I honestly, I, I recommend you do it. Um, I'd be too they will, too. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they will do something because they suddenly see the RPM drop. So you have to cover the controls with it. And anyway, so we're now on the downwind leg uh, with no indication and no governor. And I say to blogs, all you've got to do is fly the aircraft normally to a normal approach to the hover. And we do this. Come to the hover, don't touch the throttle, there's no requirement to touch the throttle at all. And then we put the circuit breakers back in, and lo and behold, the RPM is exactly where it was when we left it. So in other words, the correlator has maintained the RPM right the way through that. So what's the worry about you know, the governor failing? We used to fly these things without the governor for years. And then of course, uh, what I would then do is, on the final approach, I would subtly roll the throttle off to get the horn and light to come on. And having taught them, all I want them to do is just squeeze that throttle open and lower the lever just to get the horn and light to go out. So again, teaching them not to overreact to the caution line, uh, because the correlator will, will, will look after you. Um, and, I, and again, I go back to that 
you, you can go from a cruise into fully established auto back into the cruise and not touch the throttle. It's fantastic. Look, uh, it's it's always been it's always an education, <laughs> Rich. So, <laughs> well, I uh, don't know about that. I, I, I'm I'm very pleased that you you asked me back. <laughs> most, people never, most people never do. I never hear from people again. No, I got uh, lots of lovely comments on the last one. People are, uh, you know, exactly the same comment I made. You know, you, you often, you know, you, you do something for a while and uh, it's amazing, as I said, that the things that you don't pick up. Uh, so it's always great to have a, a fresh point of view and, and uh, sort of be challenged on, on looking at things a different way. So it's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I say I, I, I'm trying to turn the tables a bit. I've always felt that we don't do enough governor off training. My view is the same with a GPS, that, that you teach people navigation, you know, a China graph map and, and whatever, and then you add the GPS stuff at the end to say, look, it's made. You've got the basics. This is just going to help you. And my view is that we should teach to fly the R22 and the R44 with the governor off and then switch it on and say, look, this is now an aid. Because if you look at the statistics that Robinson put down on the safety course, and I put it out on my spot on the safety course, 1980 to 1990, 22% of fatal accidents in the R22 was low RPM road stall. Between 1990 and 2000, it went down to 14%. So in other words, everybody had learned manual. He fitted the governor. It became an aid, and it made a fantastic difference to the um, accident rates. And then between 2007 and 2009, it's back up to 21%. Okay, yep. So why? My, my, my reasoning is, is because because people now don't know how to manually manipulate throttle. They rely on the governor, and unfortunately, the governor is going to let you down. One is carburetor icing, and the other one that um, we haven't touched on, because I thought you might ask the question, but you haven't, so I'll give you the answer to the question that you haven't asked, and that is the other Achilles heel of the governor, and that is, that uh, when you get into a stressful situation, if you remember going back to your days when you were learning to fly, the instructor had to peel your hand off the cyclic stick to get you out of the cockpit. That's a natural reaction to, to stressors. Uh, and of course, unwittingly, uh, in a stressful situation, you're going to grip the throttle, you're going to take the throttle friction above the clutch friction, and the governor is going to try and help you but you're preventing it from doing so. So unless you have the skills to recover the RPM, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. There you go. There's a, there's one population out there uh, in terms of flying Robinsons who are, are all over this governor stuff, and that's the uh, the mustering guys. And uh, but uh, yeah. like to, once we finish here, I'll, I'll tell you that story. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> look, thank you again for your time. It's uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure. Um, always, you know, I, I learn heaps uh, chatting with you. Um, 
So yeah, I think we there might be another one with uh, oils. Uh, we might get you back on and uh, oh. talk about uh, all the things we need to know about oils. See, have you seen my latest? Yeah, yeah. I, I did see that. Yeah, so all, all, all the uh, clutch system. The clutch system is another one that uh, gets uh, pilots confused because it interacts with the pilot. You see. Yep. Um, and uh, without, but up to you. I mean, it's, I'd be delighted to be invited back again. I mean, it's, I've got all this, you know, it's, people have given me knowledge uh, and I'm keen to sort of pass it on before I become totally incoherent. Well, that's for our, our listeners. So, no, thank you very yeah. much for, for, the, for, for letting me um, have a chat with you. Yeah, well, I'm guessing for, you know for people listening in, you know, start jotting down the questions you've got and sending them in, so I can have a you know a whole panel of, of ones there to fire at you uh, next time we catch up. So, uh, yeah, if you are listening, yeah, you know, yeah. drop me an email or make a comment on Facebook or something and uh, and send us the questions. Yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, super. Yeah. There you go. I tell you what, if you listened to all that and didn't learn at least one new thing then I take my hat off to you because I learn something every time I get to talk to Richard. It would be fascinating to work alongside with people with the knowledge like that, not just on the on the flying aspects, but then to be able to dive in and out of the engineering behind things. Richard runs Robertson Safety Courses for Pilots, UK and EASA Part 147 training for maintainers and Robertson Helicopter Factory Maintenance Courses. You can grab the dates and locations from mornington.sansfordaviation.com or follow the links from this episode on the website. On Richard's website, you can also see the breakdown of what is covered in the courses and daily schedule. If you've listened through this episode and episode 93, then you pretty much know the kind of experience that you are going to have on these courses. If you do get on a course, one, I'm very jealous, but two, send me a mail at feedback at rotarywingshow.com and let me know how it was. Richard's website again is morningtonsansfordaviation.com. Just for completeness and accuracy, Richard did ask me to go back and add an extra note here. When Richard was talking about the engine collective correlation, that mechanical linkage to the throttle, he mentioned that you can't switch that off like you can the governor. There is a caveat to that, and that is that the, the correlation can be overridden by the instructor by closing the throttle all the way against the over-travel spring when conducting full touchdown or rotations. World Helicopter Day is going to come up pretty fast again. In 2021, it is Sunday the 15th of August. You still have plenty of time to talk to the boss and see what you can get happening in your town or airfield. Events don't have to be massive, difficult things at all. You could have an open hangar day or or morning. It might be a fly-in for a barbecue. Maybe your organisation can put on a a talk or a presentation. World Helicopter Day is a a great PR vehicle to get some local media coverage to promote what it is that you do in the local community. Hopefully you can raise not only your own organisation's profile, but by working together to hold events all around the world on the same day, we can raise the profile of the, the whole industry and inspire the next generation of helicopter aircrew, maintainers, and support staff. Sunday, 15th of August, 2021. Let's make a party of it. You can list your event for free at worldhelicopterday.com. 
Support for this episode comes from listeners just like you, people that love helicopters and want to keep upgrading their, their knowledge and get better at what it is that they do. I'm very grateful and really appreciate each of you that contribute a few dollars on Patreon to keep the episodes coming out and that lets me do this. A big thanks to the, the following legends. Rendell, Michael, Jason, Peter, Tony, Kevin, Heath, John, Gareth, Chris, Jake, Eric, Kirillin, Shannon, Mark, AJ, Michael, Brent, Jason, Bill, Mike, Jeff, Ben, Alidar, Stephen, Hal, Ian, Mark, Jim, and Max. If you would like to join that list and be a supporter, take a look at rotarywingshow.com forward slash support. Thanks for hanging out with me again. I'm looking forward to catching up in the next one.